Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by Pastor Teacher Russ Shute. Join us as we are appointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone as recorded in God's Holy Word. So as we look through Ephesians 2, uh, we've the other elders and myself, John and Paul, have been preaching through Ephesians. We started with chapter one, and now we're now we're coming to verse uh, chapter two, verse sixteen through eighteen. Uh, the previous chapter, the previous sermon, which was Paul Francisco preached, uh, basically there was the emphasis was on peace, and it continues through this as we get to the unity of believers. And when we have unity, we have peace, right? When we have togetherness, we have fellowship. But how do we get to this point where we have fellowship? How do we get to this point where we have reconciliation? Who reconciles us? Who brings the unbelievers to be believers, no matter what background they may have? So think about that as we go through these verses. And I'd just like to read through these verses right now. Uh, verse 16 starts with, And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he became, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So not a lot of verses, but there's some deep content there. So in this section we can see that Paul is piling up the metaphors for the body of Christ. We can see that he... Throughout this time, we see that uh, gives us the idea of the kingdom of God with Christ as king. Uh, we see the church, the body, the commonwealth of, of Israel, oneness, one new man in Christ, fellow citizens, the family of God, and the temple of God. So we can see in the beginning of verse 16 the word reconcile. What does reconcile mean? Reconcile is, I kept... I, I really stayed on that word for a long time. And as you'll see why, it really made a lot of sense to kind of go through and study through that. The word reconciliation is less commonly used today. And that, of course, in, unless you are a uh, counselor, you may see um, bringing two parties together. You're reconciling them both together. Uh, basically, we see this in... Business partners, they may have gone, had a disagreement, kind of split up. To be reconciled is for them to both come back. So the biggest part I've always seen reconciliation was in marriage. You know, more of an intimate level with marriage and to come back together. Reconciliation means that the Greek word is katilage. I may not be saying it right, but it means an exchange, reconciliation to restore favor. Restoration to favor bringing both to one spot where they can both come together. <clears throat> Reconciliation assumes a broken, a broken relationship, <clears throat> excuse me, something that has happened that has caused two parties to become estranged, to move apart for one or two or a lifetime of disagreements. Uh, to my, you know, like I said, there may be two friends, two business partners, a marriage, whatever it might be. But when I think of two sides that are not disagreeing with each other, I immediately think about, you know, my one of my favorite things to study as a teacher is history. I love history. I, I specifically love 
the wars of, of history. You know, I don't love the war, but I love studying about that to know what has happened in the past. And my most favorite thing to study is World War III. I just want to see if you're awake. There's no World War III yet. Although we may say we're in World War III right now. But one of my favorite things to study or read about and go through is the Civil War. You know, the Civil War back in 1861, uh, after decades of, of just simmering tensions between the North and the South, it, it started actually way before, but actually was declared war in 1861. And the, the things that they were in disagreement about were slavery and states' rights and westward expansion. So many people will say, oh, it's all about slavery. There's more to it than that. But this isn't a history lesson. This is just an illustration to get you to think about reconciliation. <clears throat> and also, actually, before the war started, there was the election of Abraham Lincoln in 1860, which caused many southern states to secede, from the, to, to secede and form the Confederate states. And right after that, four more states joined them. So now the war between the states as a civil war was also known as known as the Civil War, not just, you know, what we now see as the Iraq War or whatever it might be. This is war on the United States for Americans versus Americans. So it ended in 1860, 1865. The conflict was the costliest and deadliest war ever fought on American soil, with some 750,000 total number of deaths, averaging to 504 deaths per day. Think about that. From 1861 to 1865, 504 soldiers or civilians deaths per day. That comes out to the 2.5% of the American population that died during the Civil War. That's a lot of people being lost to, to the effect of war. So that, And this also left millions more injured and much of the beautiful South left in ruin. Now, during the time of 1861 and 1865, the United States needed some reconciliation, didn't it? We had tensions flaring from the north, tensions flaring from the south. And that was even before the war was even declared. So this is the result, this end result of the ter this terrible war was American versus Americans was the south surrendering and submitting, not being reconciled. If they would have been reconciled, we would have had less deaths, less tragedy, less things that were going on that were bad. You know, and I think about the other thing I think about is families. You know, some families I've seen on TV, we had Dr. Phil for a reason because it's entertaining and families don't agree with people and that kind of thing. Many different TV shows, they're, they're capitalizing on families not agreeing. So some families actually have civil wars of their own, right? Uh, there's something that causes them to grow apart uh, without talking to one another for many years. You know, there was something that they had a fallout over causing division among the family members. Some families can be so lucky and blessed that that one family member or members can bring that family back together again. And I've seen that too. And some of you might have the ability to bring the family members back yourself. Maybe you're in part of that. You're living in this hostile environment of family members not agreeing with one another. And I, I know that I've, I've seen if I had a disagreement with something, my wife is usually the one that will say, you know, nug me or kick me underneath the table saying, you know, you shouldn't say that. So I kind of like, I get the hint, I kind of 
So she's reconciling me back to a, a clearer thinking, a better thinking, I guess. So we are grateful to that person who can reconcile a family, right? It's terrible to see a family torn apart and not talking to each other. You know, we only have one life to live and one family to live it with. And sometimes it's the family we have with God. So to have a great relationship and fellowship between the once divided family, again, is one of the best things that we could probably have in this life. So if we are ever so grateful for this member of our family, or if you think about Winston Churchill during World War II, he was kind of considered a reconciler, bringing, bringing different parts together to defeat another, another army. So if we are so thankful for them, should we be so thankful for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who lived a perfect, sinless life and was persecuted and gave his life on the cross? I would say for sure, yes. It is Jesus Christ that is our reconciler between man and God. <clears throat> See, verse 16, we, we read, And might reconcile us both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby, thereby killing hostility. So my first point, first point would be, Christ reconciles creature and creator. We have creature, God created us, and creator, God. So God is holy, man is not. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is perfect. Man is a sinner. God cannot overlook sin or have anything to do with sin, correct? Yes. The wrath of God abides on you if you are an outsider of Christ. In other words, if you are not trusting, if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the one who died for your sins, you are outside of Christ. It is only through Jesus that we can be an, an inheritance to God. Previously in Ephesians chapter 1, we read that we are an inheritance to God. I, I kind of grappled with that for a while, thinking, how can I, a simple man, be an inheritance to God? It's something that God is gaining. But when God calls us home, says, I, I, says God has changed my heart through trusting and putting my hope and trust and faith in Jesus Christ. God, I, is, we are an heir to God. God is gaining his believers when we, he calls us home. So without Christ, we are as doomed as fighting in the Civil War. We have no reconciliation. We are the South fighting and there's no victory at the end. We are just going to have to submit and just, just go forward. So with Jesus, we are brought to the Heavenly Father through reconciliation. Much like the family I spoke about in the earlier times, uh, earlier, uh, where there was many strife, strife and trouble between the family being brought together by one person. But we can have that peace of Christ in us. We have that peace that is through, that was brought to us through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. See, we no longer have the strife in our new life as we have faith, trusting in Christ, following him. Something that happened to me uh, have something that ha that helped me work this out was looking at three particular words. And that was enmity, amity, and reconciliation. Enmity is the feeling of hostility, antagonism, animosity, or ill will between two parties. 
Enmity, it means, describes a cooperative and supportive relationship between two parties. So we have, you always hear about the antagonist, that's the enemy part. The protagonist is, you know, you hear the, the opposites. Now you see the reconciliation. Reconciliation describes a state in which there has occurred a change of relationship from enmity to enmity, from hostility to harmony, from discord to concord, and from estrangement to friendship. So hopefully those three words will help you understand a little bit more about reconciliation, of why it's important. So my three, I have some questions that I want to actually go over to help you understand why reconciliation is important. The first question would be, why does man need reconciliation? Well, sin causes man to be an enemy to, go to and hostile with God. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of the Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And it's kind of sad that God created us to live in harmony, but we rebelled from Adam and Eve. From here there on, we continue to rebel. We have that sin, and we all know what that sin is. Sin is something that God does not like that we think, say, or do that is negative or feelings toward God. So what is the result of the absence of reconciliation would be my next question. Well, the result is man is estranged and separated from God. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your inequities have, have made separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that, you, that he does not hear. Wow. It's kind of sad that God does not want to hear us because of our own doings. That's the sad part, that we are choosing to do these parts to hide from God. We are hiding ourselves from God. So third question would be, how is reconciliation realized? How do we know reconciliation has happened? Well, God took the initiative in reconciliation. God took the initiative, not us. The cross of Christ resulted in the death of God's Son, making reconciliation possible. Reconciliation is personally realized by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. Nothing that we are doing. God's answer to man's alienation is reconciliation. We are separating ourselves, but God's bringing us back to him through reconciliation. And it's initiated by Christ's work on the cross. To say it another way, the position of the world was changed by his death so that all men are now able to be saved. His death rendered the world, whole world savable, yet salvation is applied to those who believe. God made it possible for every one of us to come to him, but not every one of us believe. We still choose to live in, with strife in our life. We hate things. We disagree with things all the time. Nothing satisfies and nothing will ever satisfy because we don't have that peace of Christ within us. And the last question I have would be, who is the object of reconciliation? Kind of got the hint from the previous questions and answers, right? Well, man needs to be reconciled to God. 
2 Corinthians 5.19 says that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to, the, to us the message of reconciliation. There you have it. That's where I could just drop the mic and say, there it is. God is entrusting us through Christ, to Christ alone, to be reconciled to him. The Christian life is basically all about the enemy that we once had towards God when we were outside of Christ. Now, we have been reconciled back to God. God does not give ground or meet us halfway. God does not need any type of reconciliation to man or anything else on this earth. God is here. We are way down here. God is holy. We are not. God is separate from us. We are sinful men and women. But how do we get to God? How do we do these things? Do we need to do these certain things and have certain things, rituals, and to earn favor to get back to God? It's Christ. It's Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Remember, God does not need to be reconciled. We need to be reconciled through Jesus Christ. But the good news is that God does forgive us. He allows us to live under his rich mercy and his loving grace on a daily basis. If you have not thought about that here lately, just look at the stats of different countries and the east coast of the COVID virus, the coronavirus. How many has it taken? How many has it affected? It's affected everything. It's affected anything and everything that we know about today. He keeps allowing us to live, but for what? For us to do our things? God wants us to proclaim his name and give him honor and glory each day and every day. When we do this, we have that peace. This is the peace that we would have that we have through Jesus Christ. We are no longer surrounded by hate for everybody or anything else. We're no longer complaining. We're living in harmony. We, we're enjoying. We're being humble. We're being content with what we have. And we love Jesus more than we love ourselves. We're willing to put ourselves in the back burner and put Jesus more in the front burner. This is something dreadfully wrong in the Christian life if we are continually surrounded by strife and not the peace of Christ. And we all know what that looks like in our own lives. Now, if we are believers, there should be a sense of peace within us and within our home. Now, don't get me wrong. If you have Zoomed with my wife and myself lately, you at first, maybe about five weeks ago, we tried to make sure the background was nice and the kids were quiet. Then we have that perfect home and we're Zooming. Yeah, yeah, we're talking. Now it's like you hear the little ones in the background screaming and yelling, fighting, maybe a toy flying by, and we're just we're ignoring it because that's that's the daily life of the coronavirus, right? Being self-quarantine or stay-at-home orders. But that's not a bad thing. That's just that's not the piece I'm talking about. The piece I'm talking about is with Jesus Christ. Totally different than the chaos in our life caused by all of us being locked up. <laughs> but even then there's still a peace. I've, I've really enjoyed being with my family, working from home, watching my little ones, watching my older one graduate virtually online from UTEP, my high school one, continually, continuing to keep moving on through school. 
and my wife in the middle of it all, helping each one out. But it's hard to be at peace with anything unless you have the peace of Christ within you. Many times we need some big reminders of the peace of Christ, don't we? Many times you see a necklace or a sticker on a car or uh, if you actually see it behind me, the sign that we have in our in our living room that's right above our TV. And then that, that sign says, Jesus Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together. That was not intentionally placed for today. That's been up there for a while. So in all things, Jesus, Jesus holds everything together. Now it's hard to be at peace if you're not thinking about it. But if you've ever driven through the Panhandle of Texas and have ever traveled east of Amarillo, you would run into a town called Groom. Groom, Texas. Yeah, buddy. That's where all the cowboys are at, I guess. In East Texas, I guess. But this town has a 190-foot cross erected really high so that everybody driving through this town can see this big, giant 190-foot cross. This cross was actually placed there so we can reflect on Jesus and no longer be focused on the stresses of our life. Well, that's, that's a good start. You know, it, it all starts with reflecting on Jesus. But if we, how do we continue? Are we outsiders or are we insiders with Christ? Are we saved or unsaved? So it's funny how we need a 190-foot cross to give us a remembrance of Jesus when we should actually have it in our heart every single day. And ever in our speech, from remember from the from the mouth from the heart, the mouth will speak. Whatever comes out of our mouth is from in here. He has reconciled creature to creator. You know, and just like I said, it's funny how we need those things to to remind us what Christ has done for us. And sometimes it's not even enough to get our attention as we go through this these days of zooming conferences and teleconferences and that kind of thing is just a busyness you think it wouldn't be as busy but I think it's busier at home than it was at work trying to stay on top of things but the peace the peace of Christ brings what the peace of the excuse me the peace of Christ brings to the believers includes unity and as members of a single body of the church the unity is interestingly exemplified using a symbol of death, which is the cross. Though Paul frequently mentions the sacrifice of Jesus in Ephesians, this is the only place the cross is specifically mentioned. He uses it to highlight his next phrase, where he notes that Jesus' crucifixion resulted in the end of spiritual hostility between Jews and Gentiles. More importantly, it removed the spiritual obstruction, the walls between man and God. The connection of cross and kill is clear. Christ's cross is an instrument of execution, killed these spiritual bar barriers. We no longer have these spiritual barriers anymore. And this is how we can be reconciled to, this is how Christ reconciled the creature to the creator. And the second point, Christ reconciles outsiders and insiders. We have outsiders and insiders. We have cliques and non-cliques. And we have 
this side versus this side. You have sports, different things. You know, you have them versus them, different people. But we read verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So here in verse 17, Paul alludes to Isaiah 57, 19. And I'll read that. So, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that you so that he does not hear. Again, our sins separate us from God. This is what Paul's going towards. Verse 17 is linked to verse 14. Previously, and Paul had talked about our the not the apostle Paul, Paul Francisco, the other elder, preached last week about the peace that we have which is in verse 14. Uh, but also, he preached peace in verse 17. So now we have peace, and he's preaching peace. Romans 10, 14 says that, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Pretty neat. We need somebody to do what? To preach. What does Christ give us an example of? Preaching peace. Preached means to announce good news, gospel, or glad tidings. Literally, one can say that Christ, I don't know if this is a word or not, but Christ gospelized peace to both Jews and Gentiles. The, outs, the ones that were outside of Christ, he's bringing them back. So what was being preached? Well, verse 17 says that he, Jesus Christ, was the one preaching peace. This was actually being done by the apostles rather than Christ himself because Christ preached almost entirely to the Jews. The, the apostles were outside, more the people outside of the temple, working with them, the Gentiles. Matthew 10, 5, verse 5 and 6 says, these twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, saying, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So there we have it. Of who was going where. And what does peace mean? Peace, another wonderful Greek word, Irene, from the verb from the verb ero. To bind means to bind or join together what was broken or divided. So peace, kind of the, the definition of peace sounds kind of like the definition of reconciliation. Reconciliation brings what? It brings peace. Peace means the essence to, to set at one again and join together that which is separated. Same thing, right? In the secular Greek, Irene described the cessation or absence of war. I apologize for my Greek. It's Greek to me. But did you observe the progression that, that we have gone through already? Ephesians 2.14, Christ is our peace. Ephesians 2.15, he made peace. And in, verse, and in this verse, verse 17, he came and, and what? He preached peace. So we see the pattern of peace. The peace that was preached was on the basis of Christ's death rather than during his life on earth. 
peace is supplied to both of those who were far off, the Gentiles who were without Christ and had distanced themselves from Israel and her covenants. And that's back in verse 12. To those who were, who were near, Jesus, I'm sorry, Jews who have the covenants on and the, of the promise. So we have the Gentiles and the Jews, far off and near. The result, both Jews and Gentiles have access to God, the Father, by one spirit. Christ gives believers access. Romans 5.2 says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now this is where we can see the picture of the Trinity. Believers have access to God the Father through the Holy Spirit because of Christ's death on the cross. Paul explains how the gospel extends hope, promise, and a relationship with God to the Jews and Gentiles alike, the ones who were near and the ones who were far. Or near and far. I haven't got it backwards, sorry. Most of the Ephesian church would have been Gentiles, and Paul frequently found himself countering anti-Gentile sentiment among the various churches. Now, both Jews and Gentiles were responsible for, for sending Jesus to the cross. Similarly, both Jews and Gentiles could benefit from the payment Jesus made on the cross. Kind of ironic that. Now that Jesus is being sent to the cross, now this is the way that Jews and Gentiles have access through Jesus on the cross. Though Christ, through Christ, Jews and Gentiles have equal access to salvation through faith in Jesus, becoming part of one family, one body of God. Paul will teach in 1 Corinthians 1.18, says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross does not make sense to unbelievers, but the saved, it represents God's power to change lives. Folly means foolish. Anybody that's outside of Christ does not understand who or what Jesus did. They may not even understand his word. If you look back at the veil between the holy and holy place and the holy and holies, and the fact that it was torn from the top to the bottom indicates in a picture that as a result of Christ's death, sin has been removed as a barrier between man and God. Reconciliation has a has been achieved, and the way is now open for anyone to approach God. If he or she comes through faith in Jesus Christ and his work. So now we have the Old Testament picture of the, the curtain torn in two. But I believe our brother John preached that well, John preached that last Sunday. And he gave that same illustration. Now we don't have any more barriers. There's nothing between us and God. It's just Jesus Christ. He's bringing us to God. This means that not only is a fellowship with the Father restored, but fellowship between estranged men brings also if they are in Christ. So we have fellowship with one another. 
we have fellowship with God. What a sweet fellowship that is. Christ reconciles outsiders and insiders. Everybody to have a way, have access to God. The whole the curtain has been torn in two. There's no more barriers. There's no more things that we have in our way that's impeding us from going to God anymore. It's just our own sinful heart. My third point would be the reason. How is this possible? How can we have reconciliation? How, how, why did he preach peace? Why are we able to come to God? Well, first, if you are in Christ, then God's, then in God's sight, you are one with every other believer. Whether Jew, Gentile, male, female, bond, slave, bond, slave, or free man, regardless of any distinction whatsoever. So we must act like that. We must act like they, we, we have that peace. We must genuinely have that peace, no matter what the secondary disagreement may be, like eschatology, gifts, the list goes on and on and on. So we may not see eye to eye with every Christian on everything, and that's okay. But the one thing we have to see eye to eye on is the gospel, who Jesus is, who we are, who God is. I have seen many times that other strong believers, and I say strong, but believers that have a lot of knowledge and from my time, they have broke fellowship due to the differences on secondary issues, which is pretty sad. They no longer talk. They just went to a different church of where they believed they need to go, who has the same belief as them. But see, our duty is to live in harmony together with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And let the world know that you are men of one spiritual family. That in itself should be a large portion of your, of your witness. Nobody wants to know what you know about God. Unless they know that you can help care for others. And even them. So you got to ask yourself. Are you in him? If not... You remain divided from others, and and what is much much worse than being divided from others, you're divided from God Himself. If you come to Him, He will remove that barrier and make you a part of the new humanity that He has. He is uniting to Himself, that God is continuously bringing to Himself. You are you can be part of that family. So. When we are at peace with God, we are letting strife and simple desires go, and we are putting our trust on the Lord Jesus Christ. He will remove that spiritual barrier that you are struggling with, wherever that may be. It may be your pride. It may be your traditions. You know, I've seen so many times where I invited somebody to church, but they said, I can't because my family is this denomination. We're a Bible-believing church. We believe in God. Uh, we believe in Jesus. Jesus, it's all about Jesus. And your denomination, you can't come to church because of that? Because of your family? It's kind of strange, but there's all kinds of barriers. That's a spiritual barrier.
So whatever that may be, your your pride, traditions, whatever, uh, it may it may be that you have a questions about the word. You maybe you have questions about Jesus, and that's okay. I had questions to at one time myself. But what I'm about to tell you right now will save your life and prayerfully remove these barriers. See, God is the creator, and man, he created man in his own image. And at one time, everything on this earth was perfect, and we had fellowship with him. But early in the beginning, the genesis of the Bible, man fell into sin and was banished from God's presence. God cannot have anything to do with sin. Therefore, severing our relationship with God because of man's choice. Because of sin, man and earth now lives under a curse. God is the God, the one and only God of mercy and grace. He allows us to be redeemed. God sent Jesus as our representative who lived a perfect life. Jesus died and rose from the death on the third day. We are redeemed through Jesus Christ's birth, death, and resurrection. Jesus will return one day and reign forever, and God will banish sin forever. Man will be perfect in perfect fellowship with God forever and live with him. And life and relationships will be as God intended it to be forever. We will be reconciled and live life without strife, but in peace through Jesus Christ. Salvation is accomplished only on the basis of grace through faith. God, good works, human effort, or our best intentions will not ever be enough to earn salvation. No matter what you do, you cannot earn it. It's through Christ and Christ alone. Every person is marked with sin, both deliberate or accidental. Doesn't matter if you've been baptized as an infant, you're still full of sin. We all are, we all sin to fall short of the glory of God. Only through his mercy and grace we can be saved, leaving no room for bragging or boasting. This is all this also means that. All are saved, Jew and Gentile alike, are part of the same spiritual family. There is no cause for hostility between believers. We are all unworthy and are saved by the same kindness of God. So as we think about each day that we move on and move forward, it's all by God's grace. It's all because of Jesus reconciling us to God. So when we think about these three verses, and might be reconciled, both of us, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time we could be here together. 
Thank you for the truth, whether it hurts, and many of us may feel a strife, the ill feelings in our life, but we know it's it's Jesus Christ that can reconcile us all back to you, God. God, we pray for those who are not trusting in Christ, but they're trusting in their own ways. They're trusting in the things they have done, the things that their family believes, or whatever it might be. God, we know, as your word tells us this morning, we can only be reconciled through Jesus by the death, birth, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And Lord, we just pray that for those who may not know you, that they may come to know you, that they may stop putting up these spiritual barriers in front of them because Jesus can knock them down and they have to trust and put their faith in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord that his word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. We meet together each Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9.50 a.m. for Connection Sunday School and from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. for our worship service. We're located at 1385 Northwestern Drive on the west side of El Paso along with our hosting sister church, Mission de Gracia. If you have any questions, you can dial 915-308-1208 or visit our website at www.gracebibleelpaso.org. We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. Thank you.